The greatest storms you will ever face, the most powerful winds and waves you'll ever encounter are within. For you see, if you conquer the inner turmoil, then the outer turmoil will not seem as bad. But you must be the one to take authority over the upheaval in your emotions regardless of what is happening around you. I said that I would leave you my peace, that I would give it to you. That peace is within you. It is a part of your new nature, that born-again spirit. It cannot be separated from the born-again spirit. Therefore, if you are born again, you not only have my life and my nature, but you also have my peace. You must draw that peace up from within. If you seek me, my presence will minister to you. But the presence of peace that I bring will begin to minister to you according to the peace that is within you. I say unto you, you have supernatural peace within. This is one reason why that my word declares it to be a peace that passes all understanding. Because it cannot be explained in human terms. The power of my peace within you is greater than all of the inner turmoil you will ever face. So instead of focusing on the problems that appear to be overwhelming you, I say focus on my peace within and let it overwhelm those emotions. I have given to you my perfect peace and I say to you, use it as a weapon against inner turmoil. You can live in this place of peace because you are born of my spirit, says the Lord. We are going to continue in the series, God's Judgment, and tonight is the second part of the sermon that I started this morning. And the title of this message is, uh, well tonight, it's God's Judgment 9, The Silent Killer, Part 2. And I gave you the example this morning of how from time to time I've heard of people who weren't feeling well, even though they looked like they were in great health, they go to the doctor, the doctor examines them and tells them they have you know, terminal cancer. And they didn't even know it was there, and a few weeks later, they passed away. That's a very difficult thing, because this cancer was in them, killing them for who knows how long, and they didn't realize it. Well, that's the way it is with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is something that when you hold on to it, it is killing you. Now, some people may think, well, you know, yeah, that's a nice saying. I mean, okay, very cute. But no, it's killing you. And I'm going to explain that in more detail in just a little bit. And uh, in the message, what I shared uh, from uh, Matthew chapter 6 and Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, if you do not forgive, then your Father will not forgive you. Now, quite frankly, I find that to be one of the most shocking statements in all of Scripture. If you do not forgive. And this is coming from Jesus. And Jesus, in another place, He said, I only say what my Father wants me to say. So God was telling Jesus, you let them know. Now, this is kingdom teaching, what He was giving. He said, you let them know. Once they're in the kingdom... If they refuse to forgive, then it's going to block my forgiveness to them. Well, see, we've been raised to think, well, you know, God forgives everything. 
And what's interesting is that you can be involved in all kinds of sin and go to God and repent and, yeah, that's a good thing and you need to. However, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, guys, unforgiveness is a sin. Even though the Bible does not say unforgiveness is a sin. The fact of the matter is, when you read about unforgiveness, and the word unforgiveness does not uh, appear in Scripture, but when it uses phrases like, if you do not forgive, okay, that's unforgiveness. So, in Scripture, we're given a warning that we better do this. We saw in Scripture how that there is a new covenant. It's a better covenant, better promises. That Jesus is the high priest of that covenant. Well, that covenant was established by His blood. It's a blood covenant established by His blood. And uh, two of its foundations, along with the blood, uh, two of its foundations are forgiveness and, and love. Divine love and divine forgiveness. Because the whole Bible, as I shared this morning, the message of the entire Bible is God is love. And He's made a way for you to be restored to Him. That's it. That is the Bible in summary. Well, we've seen in Scripture where God has used a lot of interesting terms. You get over there into 1 John, and He says, you know... um, if you don't love your brother, then from my perspective as God, you hate your brother. And if you hate your brother, from my perspective as God, that's like being a murderer. And you cannot hold on to that because it will result in you not having my life in you. Now guys, this is heavy. God is saying if you hold on to unforgiveness... You are slowly, you're, you're pulling an atom. You know, God said in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. Well, when you think in terms of uh, unforgiveness being a fruit, when you eat it, look, there's a dying process. And the longer that you hold on to unforgiveness, it's like every day you go back and you eat more and more of that fruit. And it's destroying you. And not only that, but... It's also destroying the people around you. What I have found interesting is that when a mom or a dad or both are holding on to unforgiveness, it is almost inevitable that the mom or the dad or both will be talking about it in front of the kids. Now when that happens, you are essentially telling your children not to forgive so-and-so. Because your kids are going to hear this. And you better watch out because you know how kids are. Younger kids, they repeat. They repeat what they hear. And there's a good chance they might be around the person the parents talk about and say, did you know that my mommy said, you're a blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is wrong. You poison your children and you train them to not forgive. Now, we took a look in Scripture uh, at, at many different passages. And one of the passages that I read to you was Psalm 119, 165. It said, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. That means... When you do love God's law, or say it another way, when you love His commandments, nothing will offend you. Now, one of the commandments that He's given to us as believers is that we are commanded to love. This is not an option. It is a commandment. Now, remember in the Old Testament when God laid down the law, and He's talking about, you know, don't break these commandments. Well, this one that He's given to us, Jesus uh, talked about it, in the book of John, and then over in 1 John, it's repeated. When, when we're being told that w- there's a commandment to love, you, you better take that seriously. Because the Bible says that God 
is love. So if God is love, and he tells us that we are to love, and that as God loves us, that we are to forgive as, as God has forgiven us, guys, we better do it. And you say, well, it's easier said than done. Well, actually, no. No. It's, listen, it's actually harder to hold unforgiveness than it is to forgive. And the reason for that is because, as I shared this morning, when you get born again, there is a conscience that comes with that born-again nature. And when somebody does you wrong, you know, immediately, you know, you might feel the emotion of, of uh, you know, like, oh, how could you do that? Or however you would respond. But there is a conscience on the inside of you that is a part of your new nature that will contradict that emotion. Now, it's up to you whether you go with what's in your new nature. And over in Galatians chapter 5, we saw that the very first fruit of our born-again spirit is love. So, if you're not forgiving, then you're denying that fruit to be produced in your life. You know, I shared with you a quote <clears throat> from Pastor Dave Roberson, and I don't remember what sermon this was in, but he said, if you knew the effect unforgiveness has on getting prayers answered, you wouldn't even allow yourself to get mad. That's true. And you know, I was thinking about how that in so many churches, they have these, um, well, like uh, drug addiction recovery groups. You know what I'm talking about? They have these alcohol recovery groups. And I don't mean necessarily the um, Alcoholics Anonymous, but there are other programs. So here they are in the church. And then they have like the divorce recovery group. And so you've got all these recovery groups, but you know what? Maybe one of the most important is an unforgiveness recovery group. Teaching people the Word of God and how if you hold on to unforgiveness, I don't care how many times you lift your hands and praise the Lord, the bottom line is this, you hold on to unforgiveness and you're separating yourself from God, you could end up in hell. Now that's the Word of God. And you can listen to the message from this morning for more clarity on this. But yeah, you know, the unforgiveness recovery group, that would probably be a group few people attend. Because, for one thing, a lot of people are going to say, well, I, you know, I've forgiven them. I just can't forget what they did. Well, I've forgiven them, but, you know, I just, I can't stand being around them. Well, I've forgiven, you know, and on and on it goes. You know, there's one, th forgiveness and trust are two different things. If, I, if I'm talking to you, and you, bam, you, you punch me in the nose... And I, and I look at you, why would you do that? And you say, well, I don't know, I just something came over me. <laughs> Your nose just looked very punchable. So, you know, I'm sorry. So, well, okay, you know, don't, you know, don't do that again, though. Man, that hurt. So then a couple of weeks later, we're talking, pow! You know, you punch me in the nose again. And, uh, yeah, I'll forgive you. Then, you know, a month or two later, we're talking, bam! There you go, punch me in the nose again. Okay, you know what? I'll forgive you. However, the next time we talk, I'm standing five feet back. <laughs> I'm not going to get near enough. And if you start walking toward me, I'll be, start, I'll be walking backwards. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. Because there's something weird going on in you. You know, and my nose doesn't like your fist. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll forgive you. But the trust issue, I mean, that's a different thing. Totally different thing. Now... In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And then we see over there in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And God has forgiven. And if He has forgiven us, we're supposed to be forgiving. If I'm not forgiving, if I'm not loving with that love and forgiving with that forgiveness, He and I are not in agreement. Now, He might be in agreement with me that, yeah, what they did to you is wrong. However, my son hung on that cross and died under the penalty for what they did. Now, if you look in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. You know what was interesting is I was praying about all of this. and um, In fact, I, well, anyway, I've got to stay focused here. 
One of the things that, I, you know, I'll give the Lord the credit on this one, that just dropped into me, is this. Talking about us as Christians. Unforgiveness is a poison we drink, but expect the other person to die. Because when we hold unforgiveness towards someone, whether we admit it or not, we want something to happen to them. Well, I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I just want them to learn their lesson. How's that going to happen? Who's going to teach them? Well, I just won't. I'll just, you know, I won't even talk to them. That'll teach them. Actually, they might be kind of glad. In other words, maybe the problem isn't them. <laughs> Have you ever thought of that? Maybe the problem is you. And you'll understand that a little bit better here in just a few minutes. Now, in Matthew chapter 18, you know, Peter, in verse 21, he asked Jesus, How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And I can just... <laughs> you know, Peter, I, I'm telling you, when he said this, he felt like he's being generous. And he, he said that, and I don't doubt, but maybe some of the other apostles standing there, when they heard him say that, they just kind of rolled his eyes and said, yeah, I want to see him do that seven times, right. And so Peter, he's thinking, this is a good number. And then Jesus, he just messes Peter's theology up by saying, no, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> and I can just hear jaws dropping and eyes bulging out. And then Jesus begins giving this, um, this parable about a servant who was so in debt to his master, there was no way he could ever pay it back. And the master said, okay, you know, here's what we're going. I'm going to sell your wife and your family and everything you have. Now, what that message, what, Je what Jesus is trying to get across to us is that unforgiveness has an impact on our family, what I was saying a moment ago. And so the master says, well, I'm going to sell your wife and your kids, everything you have, to, you know, help pay this debt off. And, and the servant said, no, please don't do that. You know, please don't, please don't. And the master said, oh, you know, I'm, okay, I'm having mercy on you, and I forgive it. I just, I forgive this debt. Well, then that servant went out, and he found another servant that owed him, you know, like $25. I mean, it's just, it wasn't that big of an amount. And he grabs that other servant, he's choking him, pay me, pay me what you owe me. The other servant said, "Just I will, I promise. You know, give me some time. And, you know, servant number one says, No, I'm not. And he has him thrown in prison. Well, the other servants, they see what happened. They go back to the master and they said, Hey, look, you need to be aware. That guy you forgave, here's what he did. So the master called that servant number one back in. says, What is this I hear? He says, In... Um, in verse 32, Matthew chapter 18, verse 32, says, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me, or asked me. Shouldst not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. That word that, you know, was wroth, that, you don't want God to be wroth at you. <laughs> okay, that, that's bad mad. The Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due unto him. Now listen to this. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also to you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Do you see this? Now this is the word of Jesus Christ to the body of Christ. And he's telling you right now, you will be turned over to the tormentors. What does that mean? I don't know. It can mean all kinds of things. We'll get into some of it here in a little bit. But notice, in verse 34, His Lord was wroth and delivered Him to the tormentors till He should pay all that was due unto Him. See that? Alright. Then, Jesus says, My heavenly Father is going to do the same to you. Turn you over to the tormentors. So then the question would be, how can I get delivered from these tormentors? You do verse 34. You pay all that is due. Well, what is it that, that, that is due? Isn't there a passage in Scripture that says, Owe no man anything but to love? Yeah. Owe no man nothing but to love. Okay. If I do verse 34, 
What that means is, I am loving you, and I am forgiving you. That's the debt I owe. When I do that, I am then delivered from the verse 35 tormentors. And as far as the verse 35 tormentors are concerned, you know, we can talk about that all day long. Well, it's sickness. Well, it's poverty. Well, it's demons. Well, it's, well, it's, and and on and on it goes. So just hold on for a bit, and we'll touch on this a little bit more um, not too long from now. But notice he says, I'll turn you over to the tormentors. Well, it's a word that has a whole lot of meaning to it, but just leave the word torment. Obviously, we're talking about something that's bad, very uncomfortable, that you don't want. None of us want this. But look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you pick it up in verse 18. Well, I'll tell you what, pick it up in verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Now stop right there. They think they're coming together for the better. He says, you are greatly mistaken. You're not coming together and, and having benefit. It's for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions, schisms, bickering, infighting in the church among you. And I partly believe it. Now, what is something that could cause a division within a church? Unforgiveness. And it doesn't have to be the entire congregation. It just can't, it could be, you know, Bob and Frank. But that's a division. Anytime you have something like that, anytime you have that kind, when there's something there, when one person is holding on to ought to another, it can create a spiritual atmosphere that is detrimental to the spiritual progress of people in the church. You know, you kind of carry it around with you, and other people detect it. Well, he says, verse 19, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which, I, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, look at this. In verses 24 and 25, he talks about eating the bread and drinking the juice. He's making a specific reference, and he says right here, this is, you know, the the cup of the New Testament. Jesus, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talked about this. How that this is the cup of the New Testament, or the New Covenant. It's what we were talking about this morning. Paul is making a specific reference to the blood covenant that God established with humanity through Jesus and his blood. And he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. 
In other words, every time you come to the communion table and you eat and you drink, what you're saying is, I affirm this covenant, that I am a part of this covenant, that I honor this covenant, that I uphold this covenant, and I agree to its terms. And he says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, if you eat and drink, he says unworthily. Well, that means you shouldn't be doing this because what you're doing then, you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, you're violating this covenant if you do it unworthily. Well, what does that mean, unworthily? Well, in verse 28, he says, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So remember, eating of the bread and drinking of the cup is a statement, I'm a part of this covenant. I have entered into this covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ and everything that it represents. Okay, why did Jesus shed his blood? Obviously, we know part of the covenant. But, remember in Scripture it tells us that hardly, well, I forget exactly the wording, but what it says is without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. All right? So, the shedding of blood, His blood, had to do with our sins being remitted or being forgiven. So, when I take of the cup and I eat the bread, what I'm saying is, I stand in agreement that the blood of Jesus was shed on my behalf and that because of his shed blood, sins are forgiven. But if I eat and drink unworthily, or another way to say it is, eat and, now twice he uses this term unworthily. In verse 29, he says, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Well, if I'm doing verse 28, then what I'm doing, I'm examining myself. Now, this is an an introspection, if you will. I'm looking within. I'm examining my heart, my mind, my thoughts. You know, what's been going on in me? I am examining me in light of the covenant. See this? I am, and he says right here, In um, verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Well, what's he talking about here? In other words, what I do is I take the terms of this covenant and I examine my life in light of what is recorded in Scripture. For us, we have it in Scripture, but I examine my life in accordance with what the terms are of this covenant. And then I judge myself as to whether or not I'm in agreement with or in disagreement with the terms of the covenant. Remember, he shed his blood, many things, I understand that, but for our reconciliation unto God, the forgiveness. So, I examine me, and I judge myself. Is there anything in me that's in violation with the terms? Because Remember, Jesus gave a commandment, love. A new commandment I give you, that you love. And this is repeated throughout the New Testament. So I'm supposed to be loving. Therefore, I judge myself according to this blood covenant. And if I find something in me that violates this covenant, then I need to make it right. I judge myself as being guilty And then I repent before God and make it right in me before I eat or drink. And he says, if you eat, verse 29, if you eat or drink unworthily, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. You're you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. How do I do this? By saying, well, you know what? Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. But this bum over here, I can't believe he's anywhere near me. If we weren't in church, if we weren't here in front of everybody, well, I'll get him. You wait and see. Day's coming. He's going to get his. See what I'm saying? 
I can't believe you said that about. I can't believe you talked to me that way. I, I can't. You know. You know why are you so mean to me? And on and on it goes. But now, let me. You can turn back to this if you want to. But in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five, beginning in verse one, it says, "If there be a controversy, quarrel, strife, contention." Division. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. And it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault, by a certain number. Forty stripes may he give him and not exceed, lest, if he should exceed and beat him above these with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Now, what's this talking about? It's talking about somebody did me wrong and that person doesn't want to make it right. You know, he lied, he cursed at me, he stole something, whatever. So we go to the judges. And we present our cases, and the judges listen, and they say, you know, sir, he's right. You did him wrong. And then what they do is they take the guy, and they put him over the, the whipping table, or whipping stone, or the uh, whipping post, and they put stripes. I mean, they whip him with stripes on his back. And from that point on, that issue is laid to rest. So then the person who was offended, if he sees the offender, you know, days later, weeks later, later, months later, whatever, if he sees that offender and he says, you know what, what you did to me, you, and he starts in again, the offender can say, hold on right there, hold on, stop. And lift his shirt and turn around and show him the scars. He said, you see that? Okay, the punishment was laid on my back for what I did. It's over. You can no longer accuse me. You can no longer do this. The price has been paid. So we get back over here to 1 Corinthians. And he says, in verse 29, He that drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Well, what did they do to his body? Yeah, I know they pierced his hands, feet, and so forth, but remember they whipped him. And he says, you're not discerning the Lord's body, so you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. In other words, he's describing a process, damnation. You, you keep coming to the table of the Lord while holding unforgiveness towards somebody, and every time you drink, every time you eat, you've taken another step into eternal damnation. Because you're refusing to acknowledge that the stripes on Jesus' back paid the price for what that person said to you, what that person did to you. You are eating and drinking unworthily. You're saying, yes, I'm a part of this covenant. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, hold on here, buddy. You just hold on right now. You can't come to the table of the Lord with unforgiveness. Because if you do, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. And he tells you right in this. If you judge yourself, you would not be judged. See that? This isn't simply talking about judgment on the last day. This is talking about judgment even now, in this life. He says, you've got to judge yourself. Yeah, but what they did to me, I can't say. You know, she was so mean to me. She was, get off it, man. You're guilty. There's filth inside of you. It's called unforgiveness. And you can't carry that kind of stuff into eternity with you. It is destroying you on the inside. Look in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And here in 1 John chapter 4, let's take a look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in what? In love. 
God has already said in His Word, as far as Christians are concerned, if you do not love, then you are not made perfect. It, you can, we read about this this morning. He says, if you don't love, then you're interfering with your spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity. He says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. You may say, well, yeah, but I, I don't have any fear. Okay, wait a second. You're saying you don't have any fear. I beg to differ. Because if you have unforgiveness, this word fear, it doesn't mean you are, well, part of its meaning is not about fearing something bad happening. It's, it's talking in part about a negative a negative, an inner emotion that is troubling. Okay? And he says, fear hath torment. Now, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. And I shared with you, I referred to uh, unforgiveness as the silent killer. And in this morning's message, more than once I said, it's, it's destroying you, it's killing you, it's hurting you. And I've said this tonight. Now maybe Scripture isn't good enough for you. Maybe the Word of God, maybe that just isn't having an impression upon you. We've, I've read these things to you where God is telling you, if you, for, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Maybe that just doesn't carry any weight. So here's what I did. I went online and I began to do research. I wanted to find out, is there anything out there in the secular world that has to do with unforgiveness. Any kind of research. And honestly, I didn't think I would find, I didn't know if I'd find anything. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at the volume of information, secular information. The kind of secular information doesn't even talk about God. I don't even know if the people that do this, this research Believe in God. It's secular research that has to do with unforgiveness. And here's just a few of the places where I found this. And, and this isn't all. This is just a few. Uh, the American Psychological Association. John Hopkins University. The University of Pennsylvania. The Mayo Clinic. In other words, we're talking reputable institutions here. And this, that's just a few of them. Now what I did is I was reading through all these papers and all this research. That it was overwhelming. And so what I've done is condensed what I read into what I'm getting ready to read to you. Now keep in mind, as far as I know, well, let me put it like this. I don't know if any of them that did this research were Christians. But these are all professional psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, researchers, so on and so forth. And this is all about unforgiveness. Now here's what's interesting. Um, the word ruminate means, part of what it means is, think about, consider, meditate on, contemplate, mentally review repeatedly. And what I found interesting is that in these, uh, so many of these reports, the research papers by these universities and facilities, blah, blah, that they used the word ruminate in reference to people holding unforgiveness. Now, why they did that, I don't know. I mean, that level of education is beyond me. But as I read through this, and you hear me use the term ruminate, rumination, so on and so forth, this is what it's talking about. Rumination is repetitively focusing on the negative in one's life, including rumination over a real or perceived offense. Such rumination will almost always result in unforgiveness. This, this is not, none of this reference scripture. None of it. This was all the researchers that have studied people for decades on this. So again, rumination is repeated repetitively 
focusing on the negative in one's life, including rumination over a real or perceived offense. Such rumination will almost always result in unforgiveness. Now, right here, right now, that right there is describing what goes on in unforgiveness with every single Christian holding unforgiveness. It's either a real or perceived. And what I have found is that many times it's perceived. You create it in your mind. You make it something that it's not. Okay, now I can help you right now solve this forever. And I mean this sincerely. Listen, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There it is. That's it. I have solved your problem. (laughs) But if you don't do 2 Corinthians 10 5, guess what? What I'm getting ready to read to you is, now hear me, what I'm getting ready to read to you, if, you hold, if you've got unforgiveness in you, this is what is happening in your life right now. Don't even come to me and say, nah, it's not either. No, it is. This is the result of numerous studies throughout the nation. Rumination has contributed to the understanding of depression and has been implicated as a crucial component in studying cognitive weaknesses that make one susceptible to depression. In other words, unforgiveness begins tearing down any psychological defense you have against depression. Clinical depression. Whether you, I don't care if you agree with me or not, this is proven. It has been seen to foster aggression as a response to perceived transgression, resulting in psychological distress being sustained for longer periods. Decades of the study of rumination suggests that rumination is a critical construct in the development of a depressed mood. Now, let me just say this. If you're one of these moody people, up and down, up and down, you know what you need to do? You need to go before God and you need to talk about, is there unforgiveness in me? Because that is a, not the only, but a classic sign that you are holding unforgiveness. There's no such thing as moodiness in the kingdom of God. Everybody has days where you feel better than others. But you know that's not what we're talking about here. Studies have also concluded that depression can be accurately predicted to occur in those given to rumination. So if you have somebody holding on to unforgiveness, you know, if I'm talking to you, and, and you're talking about, you know, well, you know, and what she said to me, and what they did to me, when this happened, you know, four years ago, what, okay, you know what, I can predict accurately you're going to go through depression if you're not already doing it. And if I were to ask family members, spouse, whatever, you know what? I would probably hear that you are going through bouts of depression. Because these studies have been conducted over decades and there's a pattern. Now, studies have shown the role rumination has in mental stability and behavior disorders. Unforgiveness has been linked to depression, mixed anxiety depressive symptoms, Increased anxiety, substance abuse, hopelessness about the future, poor thoughts of oneself, in other words, poor self-image or low self-esteem, cognitive behavior disorder, instability in thinking and decision-making, short anger response time, feelings of resentment, desire for, for vengeance, paranoia, and more. Now, if you're going through unforgiveness, that's you. Well, that's not me. Oh, yeah, it is. The paranoia thing. They're talking about me. I know they don't like me. I know, I know he hates me. I know he can't stand me. Okay, paranoia. Now, whether you want to agree with it or not, that's you. And that's because the unforgiveness is destroying your psyche, your mind. Your mind is being destroyed by the unforgiveness. You think you're normal. You're not. You've got a problem. A real problem. 
And it's the unforgiveness. Remember earlier I said unforgiveness is a poison we drink but expect the other person to die? When you drink a poison, some are faster working than others. Unforgiveness is a poison, it's killing you. Now listen to this. The complex, delayed, negative emotions of unforgiveness, in other words, holding it in (laughs) and not dealing with it, can create a stress reaction and sustain negative emotions such as resentment, bitterness, hostility, hatred, anger, and fear toward a transgressor. Fear hath torment. I mean, it's not like we didn't know about this ahead of time. It's been in Scripture. Because unforgiveness is considered a stress response, it therefore bears consequences to one's health. As we age... Now, listen to this part. I found this fascinating. Although, again, it's something that's in Scripture, just different words. As we age, our health declines due to the aging process. Genesis chapter 3. However... This process may be mitigated or made less severe through forgiveness. Now this is secular science telling you if you want to slow down the the aging process and its effects, forgive people. (laughs) The findings showed that forgiveness could moderate health benefits. Okay, Anybody who's gone through unforgiveness, there's a really good chance they have dealt with abdominal issues. Like acid reflux and upset stomach and so forth. But now listen. Unforgiveness is stressful and can lead to physical changes, much like a stress reaction. For example, activity in certain brain structures that are related to stress and negative emotions are the same as seen in the activity scene with unforgiveness. Elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure, EMG, facial electromyography, or the muscle's reaction to nerve stimulus. Here's one of the things you're going to find with people who are holding on to unforgiveness. Sooner or later, their faces will contort to some degree. Now you can say, no, they won't. Yes, they do. Just think about the people you've known who hold unforgiveness to others, their faces will contort. I'm not talking they, you know, a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. Alright? And you're not going to end up looking like, you know, Emperor Palpatine. Alright? But in other words, they, let me just say it like this, there's a scrunching of the face. Okay? And more severe in some than others. But, to continue with this, the, um, the physical effects. Um, skin conduction levels, SCL, decreased immune response. You're opening yourself up to sickness and disease. And worse outcomes in coronary artery disease, blocked arteries, were found in those in unforgiveness. The effect this has on the brain can be severe. In some cases leading to brain hemorrhage. Unforgiveness. I said you're killing yourself. Medical science backs me up. If you want to live longer, or at least have a chance to live longer, forgive. Yeah, but... No, 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 no. No buts. Okay, I won't say but. What I'll say is... You just don't know <laughs> what they said to me. You, you just don't know how they treat me. You just don't know how they feel about me. You just don't know. You just don't. Let's see here. Jesus took stripes on his back and hung on the cross for all that stuff. And you're saying it doesn't count. You, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Yeah, I do. You're in rebellion to God. You're violating the blood covenant. And everything I've read in this is happening to you at some level right now, because of the unforgiveness. Your mind is getting messed up because of the unforgiveness. Your body is suffering from it. Now here's the thing. You don't go from healthy to 
you know, dig the grave and get ready to get in there tomorrow. It is a process that takes place. And if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you are going through this. And this is just a summary. I mean, if you want to spend a few days reading all of this, go online and do your own research. But you're going through this if you're holding on to unforgiveness. And anybody who wants to say, well, Brother Martin, I, I, I'm holding unforgiveness, but I'm not going through any of that. Yes, you are. It may be mild. Here's the thing. You could be having physical problems directly related to the unforgiveness, but you don't think it's the unforgiveness. You think it's something else. And you go to the doctor. How many times have any of you ever gone to a doctor and said, ooh, you know, <laughs> my gizzard hurts? <laughs> None of you. I know you don't have a gizzard. But you know what I'm saying. You go to the doctor and you talk about problems. When's the last time you went to a doctor, talked about the problems that you're dealing with, and the doctor looks at you and says, are you walking in unforgiveness? I've never had a doctor ask me that. And yet unforgiveness could be the, the root cause that's creating a domino effect in your body for all the stuff that you're dealing with. It absolutely can. Fear hath torment. You're not forgiven. You're walking outside grace. You're eating and drinking damnation unto yourself. You're not discerning the Lord's body. Now I do understand about 1 Corinthians there, you know, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. I'm not refuting that. I'm in 100% agreement with that. I'm just saying it is more encompassing than simply by Jesus' stripes you were healed. This is involving the blood covenant. Look in Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll close with this verse. Hebrews chapter 8. I mentioned this this morning, and we'll just look at it again in closing tonight. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now, this does not mean that God has a memory problem. What this means, is, this, um, in the Greek, this is a, a legal term, and what it means is, that once God has said, I am merciful to what you've done, and I have forgiven you for what you've done. The blood of, God honors that blood covenant. Okay, He's not going to violate that. So you come to Jesus, you appeal to Him, you're born again, you're now part of this blood covenant. God honors it. And where He says that uh, their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more, it doesn't mean God has you know, forgotten. What it means is, I am bound by the blood covenant to never again hold you accountable for those sins and iniquities. So even though you could go to God and say, hey God, you remember back on like June 27th, you know, 2008, when blah, blah, blah. He's going to say, well, okay, I mean, I mean, I'm God, I don't forget anything, but yeah, what about it? Well, you know, I just want to tell you once again, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. God said, hold on, hold on. You're asking me to forgive you for something I can't forgive you for because you've already been forgiven and I can no longer hold it against you legally. I'm bound by the blood covenant. You're forgiven. Now, let's get on with life. That, yeah, praise God. That's how we're supposed to be. Always. Again, the trust issue is a little bit different. But the forgiveness, no. It's supposed to be there. Well, I'll forgive, but I'm never going to forget. Then you haven't forgiven. You see, it's not about your memory. It's about your attitude. It's about you honoring the blood of Jesus. This whole aspect of God's judgment, you don't want to go into eternity holding unforgiveness toward anybody. You say, well, okay, you know, I, I've forgiven you know, and you know what? Honestly, it can be that easy, that quickly, that easy. Because that's a part of your new nature. But in closing, let me just bring something up. Have you forgiven Barack Obama for the ungodly things he did while he was president? Have you forgiven him for lighting up the White House with the rainbow? Oh man, is it quiet. <laughs> For those of you watching and listening, no one in this room is blinking. <laughs> Have you forgiven Joe Biden 
Nancy Pelosi. I mean, this list can go on. Have you forgiven them? Yeah, but Brother Martin, there's, a, there's that but again. But Brother Martin, what they're doing is so ungodly. And God didn't know that till you told Him. <laughs> you know what? It was worse than the New Testament under Rome. Far worse. Have you forgiven them? Some of the things that I see posted, social media, reeks of unforgiveness. There are a lot of people that truly believe Joe Biden dealing with um, you know, mental things. He needs your prayers for crying out loud. He doesn't need your jokes and your criticism. That's not love. And all of the pro-anti-God stuff. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, it's wrong. But to hold on forgiveness? Seriously? No. It's wrong. This isn't just about the person sitting behind you, next to you, in front of you, that you go home to, whatever it is. This is about every human on earth. Every human on earth. This is serious. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to physically demonstrate His love and forgiveness to us so that through Him we would have eternal life with God. You cannot justify unforgiveness in any situation. None. It is a serious situation. And really, I can't read in Scripture, I can't find where God has said, if you commit adultery, I won't forgive you. If you lie, I won't forgive you. I haven't seen anything in Scripture where He says, if, if you get drunk, I won't forgive you. But what I have seen is that He says if you refuse to forgive, then you will not be forgiven by Me. <laughs> you don't think it's serious? From that perspective, knowing that God is love, I present to you the possibility that unforgiveness is, can be considered to be, an unpardonable sin. Because as long as you're holding on to it, God says you won't be forgiven. But it doesn't mean you can't repent of it. Because if you confess and acknowledge He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's the kind of God we serve. Now once again, those of you here, those of you watching... Listening, you, the Bible says judge yourself. Okay, Now sometimes it's easy for me to judge you if I hear you running your tongue about somebody that you should have forgiven. That's kind of like a no-brainer. It's like, okay, I know where you're walking. But the Bible says we're to judge ourselves. That means we need to go before God and find out, you know, is it there in me? toward this one and that one, toward him, toward her, toward them, toward whatever? Is it there? And if it is, man, make the, the forgiveness, make it quick. Make it quick and loose them. Loose them from this. Call them forgiven. God's had to deal with me you know, over the course of my life about things in my life where I realized that I hadn't truly forgiven. Now, here's what's interesting, and I'll give you forewarning. If you truly forgive, truly forgive, and I mean don't no lip service, truly forgive, then what's going to happen, what, no, what may happen is this. At some point along the line, you start having thoughts about that person again. And when that happens, you immediately stop. If you're in a store... 
If you, I don't care if you have to go find a restroom to do this or just lean your head over and whisper it or whatever, but you declare, no, I forgave that person. And I will not entertain these thoughts. Because the devil's trying to get you back into it. And I mean literally, you say that out loud. And if you're at home, use it in your home voice. Declare it. And you just say, God, you just tell God, say, God, nope, I'm not doing this. I forgave that person. And I know you've forgiven them. I'm, I'm not going to hold on to this. No, 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 I forgave them. It's over. It's over. And eventually what will happen is, you're not going to have that struggle. Some, I know Gary Carpenter had a situation to where, you know, there were some people that did him wrong, didn't want to forgive. He even prayed and told God, I want him to die and I'll do the killing. <laughs> and God said, would you be willing to be made willing to forgive? Gary said, okay. God said, all right, then just pray for them. And so Gary started praying for them. And he said, I mean, he tells us publicly. He said, yeah, you know, when I first started praying, you know, oh God, you know, I ask you to bless them, and you know I don't mean it. But... <laughs> That's what he did. And he kept doing that. He kept doing that until it got to the point to where he had nothing but love for those folks. Now guys, this, that is the potential of who we are in Christ. But you have to want it. And if you, I mean, if you want to walk in agreement with God and, and if you want to have the kind of productive Christian kingdom life that you can have, and if you want to be used by God in a powerful way, in this latter-day outpouring and revival, forgiveness, it's got to be there. Judge yourself. Deal with it, no matter who it is. And, um, and just, let's go on with it. Let's move on. Well, praise the Lord. Please stand. Thank you for your grace, folks. Thank you for your mercy. I ask you for your forgiveness for the length of these sermons. <laughs> I ain't coming back to this church no more. <laughs> Father, thank you for your word.